Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. I'm your host, Jordan Plank. Joining me are Dr. Stan Wallace and Dr. J.P. Moreland. At the risk of sounding overexcited, I am thrilled to talk about J.P.'s new book, A Simple Guide to Experience Miracles. Because so often in Christian culture, these things are either ignored as superstitious or um, as I've experienced, they're discussed in very hushed tones and preceded by things like, I know this sounds crazy, or I'm not usually a woo-woo type person, but I had this experience. Uh, That's why I think this book was so necessary. And I so appreciate that you wrote it, JP. Um, It brings the conversation out into the open where we can really have a proper discussion about these topics. So JP, I'd like to ask you to kick us off by outlining the five types of miracles that you identify in this book. Well, thank you so much for that. And again, I want to say what a privilege it is for me to be uh, associated with this uh, podcast, as well as with Global Scholars Ministry. And uh, I'm delighted that we can talk about my new book, because it was one that I have, was really uh, passionate about. Uh, before I answer your question, let me just give a little background. My, uh, my understanding of spiritual growth and maturity uh, centers around three things, and this is cultivating a, a Christian mind, uh, second, cultivating character growth and uh, tenderness of heart. So that would be spiritual formation or, or discipleship. But then third, uh, learning to in, in, interact with the kingdom's power through uh, miraculous interventions by God, seeing those more frequently. And I wrote the book because, as you said, this third aspect which I think is very important, is usually associated with kooky people or, and sadly, that's true. Uh, and with uh, just very, very unthinking kind of people that, you know, don't have any teeth and, 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 <laughs> and, and so on, or it all happens overseas where people don't know any different. And yeah. uh, so I wanted to write this book and put my reputation on the line by offering wise uh, philosophical and biblical perspectives and practical application on five kinds of supernatural events. And then I carefully vetted each account in the book. And there, I don't know, 40 or so, they're just wonderful. And I, I am beyond any reasonable doubt they all happened. Now, the five kinds of miracles uh, would be specific answers to prayer, Secondly, would be some kind of miraculous healing by God. Third would be at least five different ways of hearing God's voice outside but under the authority of the Bible. Mm. Uh, The fourth would be supernatural manifestations of angels and demons. And then finally, uh, near-death experiences, which uh, are clearly supernatural events, and I make a case for these and, and then share an awful lot of stories that I thoroughly investigated and am confident in. Hmm. And JP, uh, it, 
there's a book you wrote a handful of years ago now, The Kingdom Triangle, where you touched on this as one of the three legs of the stool you talk about. And so this, it seems to me, is then a development and of a fuller treatment of what you're trying to get at in that book. Is that right? Well, that's that's spot on, Stan, because uh, on the first leg, I wrote Love Your God With All Your Mind. Mm-hmm. And I've engaged in a number of books uh, trying to give a rational defense of the faith. And then for the inner life, I wrote Finding Quiet about anxiety. And then I also co-authored a book called In Search of Happiness, uh, The Lost Virtue of Happiness. Mm-hmm. And I had yet to come to a full treatment of the miraculous, though it is, as you pointed out, treated in a small way in Kingdom Triangle. But this is my attempt to fill out, I don't know, my trilogy or my understanding mm-hmm. of, matu- of maturity. So, yeah, you're right. You're right. Good. So needed. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I would like to offer a case study for us to evaluate coincidence or miracle. Um, I've asked Stan to do the same. So um, we're, we're both going to bring these things. And JP, I'm hoping that you can walk us through this process of evaluating what in our life is a miracle and what is just luck or happenstance or mere coincidence. So in the beginning of your second chapter, JP, you tell the story of a ministry student who had run out of funds to pay for his tuition. He felt frustrated with God because it seemed so clear that God had led the student this far, but now it seemed that all hope was lost. Um, The student prayed that God would provide the exact amount required, and days came and went, and it seemed God was answering his prayer with silence until his wife was helping to clean out her recently deceased relative's house and found bonds in her name that got very close but were not the exact amount required. Then when they went to deposit them, they found that with the interest, they totaled the exact amount to the cent that they needed for the payment. Um, They understood this to mean that God still had them on the path toward further education and ministry. Um, It's a really touching story, and many of us have heard stories similar to this. Um, But what makes this story so meaningful to me is that Dr. Jason Linker, who was that student, uh, was my professor of Old and New Testament at university. And not only that, but I was his teaching assistant for several semesters. And uh, <laughs> no, and to make a long story short, I am absolutely convinced that without Dr. Linker, I would not be sitting here talking with you right now. Wow. I got to tell you, that is, uh, that is no small point. That's a big deal. And I am so, so delighted you shared that with me. Is it? That's, it's like a multi-layered thing. It's just amazing. Well, one of, the, one of the interesting things about when God works is that there will be ripples uh, that go out mm-hmm. in ways that you, you may never know about. I mean, that's why, for example, if God is working as we share our faith, but we don't see anything happen, we have absolutely no idea what is produced with our co-laboring with God on that down the road. I mean, none. So that's so encouraging to me because I know from stories after stories Mm -hmm. that things ripple out there. Mm -hmm. And I I never, a lot of them I never heard about. I got to hear yours, 
But isn't that encouraging? Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's, there's the miracle that happened. I, you know, we're proposing that it was a miracle that yes. um, happened yes. to the linkers. Um, and then there's the fact that I was reading it in reading your book in time and space and came across it and was deeply encouraged and reminded of um, some of the really really deep prophetic words of scripture that Dr. Laker spoke over me. And it was a a really powerful experience for me. So is that, I mean, how many Christian professors are there? Yeah. Is that just a coincidence? Well, let's talk about that. And and let's say why this is important. There are two purposes that at least for which God performs miraculous interventions in the world. One of them is as, of course, as a sign that uh, some ambassador or or for Christ or the Christian gospel is true. It's a sign to encourage faith and to build it uh, in Christianity. But but there is really a second reason that's all throughout Scripture, and it's that God simply loves people and has mercy on them sometimes when he knows that it's best and certain conditions are met to, to, to step in and do something miraculously. So, so uh, one of the great values of miracles is they really strengthen your faith when you read or hear about them and their credible accounts. The problem, though, is that if you've experienced a specific answer to prayer or some miracle, as I, I have and most of us have, uh, what happens is the next day, a little doubt creeps in and says, you know, that could have been coincidence. Now, the problem with that is, well, it may, it may have been, but, but the problem with the question is it robs one of uh, legitimate faith building when it really was a miracle. So the, this is a pressing question as to how do you know the difference? That way, the, the application is that you could use that to, be, to gain assurance that something wasn't a coincidence, but that something else was. And that just helps you get strengthened without it uh, draining away by that doubt. Now, there's a principle, uh, and Jordan, what I find interesting about this principle is that it has nothing to do with Christianity. It was actually developed in some of the sciences, and in particular linguistics, archaeology, uh, forensic science uh, particularly, uh, not long ago, this principle was used to settle a dispute among uh, anthropologists who discovered a cave in which they knew Neanderthals inhabited that cave. But there was a formation in the cave that there was a debate about whether it was uh, an artifact produced by the Neanderthals or if it was just a cave formation. And the principal ended up settling that dispute, and now it's been published in the the anthropology journals that it was, in fact, an artifact produced intelligently by a Neanderthal. So the principle, it it, it works, and it's a scientific principle, but it can be easily applied to the spiritual life. It's sometimes called the intelligent design principles. Uh, It can be called the intelligent agent principle. And and it goes like this. Um, In the world, we see there are causes that produce effects. And a lot of times those causes are purely 
natural causes. A flash of lightning causes the splitting of a tree, and that's a purely natural cause, a flash of lightning. However, uh, my wife sets the dinner table in a certain way because we're having Asian neighbors over instead of Mexican friends. And that effect, the dinner table being set that way, had a personal cause that acted freely and intentionally. So how do you tell the difference? Well, when two factors are present, that is sufficient. It's not necessary because there can be a divine action that, that without these. But if you see these two, then that is sufficient to know that whatever you, event you're looking at was the result of an intelligent action by a personal agent either a human or a Neanderthal or God himself. And the two conditions are these. First of all, the event has to be highly improbable. That's crucial, but that's not enough. And here's why. Uh, if I and Stan were playing a game of bridge and we had a $500 pot that we were playing for and um, I was a dealer and on the first deal, I gave myself a perfect bridge hand. My hand would raise a ton of suspicion, but Stan's wouldn't, but his was every bit as improbable as mine. If before the deal, somebody predicted on a piece of paper that Stan would get that exact set of 13 cards, now there would be something to wonder about. But, but you see, there's nothing special about Stan's hand. In fact, the only description you can give it is that it is some hand or other that Stan happened to get. That's it. So the second criterion is called independent specialness. There has to be something special about this event, apart from the fact that it happened. Now, illustration, my hand and stands are equally improbable. So we got number one down, but my hand has the second factor. It's a special hand. Why? Because according to the rules of the game, which are independent of the deal, mm -hmm. they say that if any hand of this kind shows up, that sucker's a winner. Well, I have a motive of wanting to win that 500 bucks. So it's the combination of my hand being special and also highly improbable that indicates I cheated. Now, this was actually used in the state of Ohio years ago. Uh, by uh, the Democratic Party who sued a Republican and used this principle and won in court. And it went like this. It was time for internal state elections in about eight districts for the state house. And on each ballot, there were something like seven or eight parties. And so these ballots were distributed to all these different eight voting districts. And lo and behold, the ballot in each district had the Republican candidate listed as first. Mm. Now, that is very improbable to happen. But then any if you took a particular random listing of candidates and that showed up on every ballot, that would be equally improbable. So the improbability of it is a necessary factor, but it's not sufficient by itself. The other factor, though, is this. We know that whatever candidate is listed first on a ballot, they get extra votes just because they're first. 
And the person in charge of producing the ballots was a Republican. It was the combination of the fact that having the Republican first was a special result to this ballot producer, his party would win, plus the unlikeliness of this happening that indicated that that result was not a random accident. It was the result of personal intentional action by an agent. Now, uh, let's take this in, in the case of, obviously, in the case of this uh, young couple and this young man, there was a special need for a specific amount of money down to the penny. I'm going to, it's in the book, it's $2,157.29. Mm-hmm. I don't know, that's what it was. And he and the class he was in, so everybody knew about the prayer, were praying that God would give him exactly that amount of money to show him beyond question that he was supposed to stay in seminary like he thought. All right. Now, the the chances of that happening are utterly minuscule. But the combination of this result happening that is so unlikely, it's ridiculous. Plus, that was exactly what was being prayed for and what was needed. So it was a special result showed beyond any reasonable doubt that it was an answer to prayer and God intervened. Now, if they'd have found $300 or, I don't know, $1,200, you know, it could be that God provided that, but I wouldn't know that. I mean, I would I would have to say, well, it could be a provision from God, but I have to tell you, my reason, I, I, I'm a little bit less certain of that. But to the penny, there's no way. Now, let's take your situation. What is the likelihood that you would hear a story of this sort about one of your favorite professors in in your undergrad work what's the likelihood of that it's it's almost it's so small okay. it's ridiculous but then for you to hear a story about any professor in the country i mean you know peter singer uh, is is pretty unlikely. So while that's interesting, it's not enough. Now, so so is this special? Well, let, let's put it this way: you knew this individual professor, so it wasn't like some guy at Ohio State that you've never heard of. This was a person. Not only had you studied under this individual, but you were a, a, an assistant of, of his. And you were marked by him and, and, and liked him a lot. So now there, there is something about this particular individual that is very, very special to you apart compared to other professors that you could read about. Now, the fact that you would read a story about this and it would have an effect of boosting your Christian life precisely because of the specific character of the individual that is being described shows that you have a high improbability and independent specialness. And those combined to me to say, yeah, this was God orchestrating an event that was miraculous. It wasn't a coincidence. And that's the principle that we use. Mm -hmm. JP, that is so helpful. Isn't it helpful? Yes. So independent specialness and improbability. 
Yes. And I go into it in detail in the book mm-hmm. and give illustrations. So if people aren't getting it, they can. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, it's very helpful to your Christian life. Yes, absolutely. It has been, it has been very helpful for me just even evaluating the, even in evaluating the instance that your book brought into my life. Well, it's yeah. been helpful. Stan, let's take your example off. Sure. I have had a number of experiences that I'm quite confident were miraculous interventions. I'll give you one. This was the summer between my junior and senior year of college. I've been a believer just over four years. I was spending the summer in South Africa on a mission trip. One week, there was an evangelist coming through town who all of us in the area who were believers, we're going to go to attend this rally or this revival to show support. Well, I, I didn't want to go. Uh, he was, uh, let's say, of a more flamboyant Christian tradition than I was used to. <laughs> and I just had no interest in, in attending this revival. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and what's worse, I woke up that morning with a severe migraine. And I just... Uh, had no interest at all in getting out of bed, much less going to this event. Well, my supervisor told me I had no choice. So lo and behold, I find myself in the back row of this tent revival meeting for about an hour, watching this guy preach and uh, do so very forcefully <laughs> and in, in ways that continued to turn me off. My head was pounding. I was put out with this guy, was and no, I, I was just convinced he was a quack and uh, just counting the minutes till I could get out of there and go back to bed. So he finished his sermon and said, let's pray. And he began to pray for people in the audience. And after five or six people, he says, no, I've never met this guy. He doesn't even know I'm there. There's no connection. But he says for the young man in the back of the tent, who's got the headache, would you touch him? and show him your grace and love. And I kid you not that instant, my head was fine. And I've, I've had migraines up until a few years ago for, you know, every month or so. And that that never happened and it was just gone. And I thought, how did that happen? I I wasn't predisposed in any way to think this guy had any credibility. I wasn't praying along with him. (laughs) I wasn't believing that, that uh, God was going to, touch me in that way. It just happened. And I, I do think that it was uh, partly because I was a pretty young believer and uh, it was one of God's ways to assure me that, uh, that he was real and, uh, and cared for me. And I've always looked back on that. It's been now what, I don't know, 35 years or so. And it's, it's been a pretty important event in my life, although I don't share it a lot of times. So thanks for asking. Well, well, I think this is kind of a no-brainer, to be honest with you. And I might just add, that not only do you have migraines, but you're also a pain in the backside, too. <laughs> so, so, so we might want to try to pray for that as well sometime. <laughs> Touche. But, but let's just think about this for a minute. What is the likelihood that, that you would go to this thing? You would have a director that would say, you got to go, even though you're just, you're, you're being racked with a migraine. What is the likelihood of you sitting in the back so that you're not up front in the first two or three rows? And this guy would call your name. Not quite my name, but he's a, he's a young man. 
Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. What I, what I meant to say was make reference to a, to a, a small set of people in the back who have a, a, a significant headache. Now, uh, the likelihood of him doing something like that is extremely small. There's a large crowd. There's a pretty good chance he would have picked some other part of the crowd. I mean, and it said there's a, you're having troubles in your stomach or knee or whatever it might be. So this is a, this has got a very small probability of it happening. It's also obviously independently special because this was precisely the, the need that you had when you went to this meeting. You needed relief from this headache, and it would have been a wonderful thing if God would have given you a miraculous relief for that headache, which would also clearly build your faith that he knew who you were, and he, was, he had his eye on you. Now, it is, it is, there, there are very few false positives with this intelligent agent principle. False positive would be a case where it judges that it's intelligent, but it, right. it, it's not intelligent. Right. So it, it, that's just as part of the principle, and that's scientifically uh, stated by people who use it in the sciences. So the, it, there's no doubt. I, mean, I know, no, don't believe, I know that that was a miracle. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 see, here's, here's the problem. When you begin to hear more of these, and they fa- satisfy these principles, you know, like I go into churches all the time, and I take a poll. How many of you have had a specific answer to prayer that you just know could not have been a coincidence? Then I ask how many of you have had God speak to you in some way or guide you uh, in a way that you, you knew because of what happened later that it was clearly God that did it, or you know you or you know someone who has been miraculously healed. Anywhere from 60 to 90% of the people. But the reason we're skeptical about these things is not only have we absorbed a naturalistic view of the world, not only do we consider people associated with that as kind of weird and goofy, but we never share these things with one another. Part of the reason for that is we don't want to appear like we're bragging or we think we're special or we want to, you know, we're going to hurt right. other people's feelings if mm. they don't have a miracle. So, so I am saying that these are happening all over the world, mm-hmm. all over our country every day. Uh, people, you know, atheists say, well, miracles are so stinking rare. And my response to that is in the book. Uh, you need to be hanging around with another crowd of people. They're not rare at all. Mm-hmm. They're happening hundreds of thousands of times every day. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why your story has such power. And I would just like to ask an atheist, if you read my book, how do you, what do you do with these? Mm-hmm. What do you do with Stan's story? I mean, are you a ball-faced liar? I know you, and I'm highly inclined to think it's likely that you're not. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no way this, there's no way to explain these things unless there is a God. And so they, that's hearing on the other end of the line. So these provide actually powerful evidence for God, the, the God's reality, especially the biblical God, because that's who we're praying to. And uh, it's very exciting. 
Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yes, thanks for sharing, Stan. We will return to the show in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsor. Guests on the College Faith Podcast often discuss how important professors are in the lives of students during these impressionable years. Christian professors are examples to both non-Christian and Christian students that a person can be educated and still follow Christ, and they can have a lifelong influence as mentors. Please consider helping equip Christian professors to make a difference on a campus near you and worldwide. To learn more, please visit www.global-scholars.org. Please also check out Stan's other podcast, College Faith. While this podcast is focused on the ideas prevalent in our culture, including our universities, the College Faith podcast is more focused on the practical issues of thriving in college as a Christian. Students, as well as parents of students and soon-to-be students, will enjoy hearing from the guests Stan has on the show. Visit collegefaith.net or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now, back to Thinking Christianly. Like you said, JP, I think one of the biggest barriers to sharing these stories is that we also have stories of unanswered prayers. Absolutely. And miracles that didn't happen when we thought they should have. My community was um, recently struck with tragedy that just didn't seem necessary. It just it seemed especially cruel. And even while thousands of people prayed. So JP, you addressed this in your book and you really helped me to understand some of the qualifications that need to be made, but also that disappointment really does need to be dealt with. Jordan, you've put your finger on what is probably my biggest problem with Christianity. People say, what is your biggest issue? And this would be it. It doesn't cause me to doubt that the biblical God is real. What it does influence me to do is to think that he's basically indifferent, or this just isn't a world where God responds. And that's damaging. And so we have to face up to how do we deal with cases where it looks like it would be in God's own interests? To intervene, and it certainly would be in ours. And um, in the book, I list 14 carefully thought out reasons for why God doesn't answer a prayer or heal a sick person or speak to you when you're needing guidance or that sort of thing. And uh, more than one could apply in any given case. And so I think what a person would need to do would be to take their their disappointment with God, and look at that and see, are there any of these that I can honestly say uh, would seem to apply to my situation? And maybe there'll be one or three or four. So by looking at those, you can at least get some help in understanding. Now, there, there may still be some cases that it's hard to see if anything applies to it, and I admit that, but I will say that these are helpful. Now, the other thing I'd say would be that in the first chapter of the book, I list eight different ways. They're very practical that a person can begin to increase their expectations about the miraculous really having occurring without being presumptuous. 
Uh, and so you don't want to just learn to answer the problems, but there's also a need to find positive things I can do to increase my faith. One, one of the things I list is begin asking people, have you ever seen anything that you think was a miracle, a healing, a, a, a God speaking to you, maybe an angel or a demon or an answer to prayer. And you will be surprised that if you if you start doing that, you'll begin to hear stories. Like I've heard two here, from one from each of you. And I have to tell you, both of them encourage my faith. I right now am stronger for having heard your stories than I was when we first started this program. Well, just imagine if we started doing this more and more as a lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, we're having coffee with a Christian friend and uh, uh, things drag a little bit. You say, hey, by the way, I just thought I'd ask you, have you ever seen such and such? And you'll just you're going to be surprised the stories you hear. And they're very encouraging. After reading that portion, I actually tried this with my small group and it was it was amazing because not only did everyone have a story, we actually had to cut it off at some point because we all had so many stories. And oh my gosh, really? Yes. And it was a group of people that I I would tend to associate with a more cerebral style of engaging with God. And each of them said, oh yeah, and that reminds me of this time when this happened. And that reminds me of that time. Were they reasonable accounts? They were excellent stories. Well, see, that illustrates my point. And the bigger the bigger point is, and I know that you're with me and you stand, is that why do I have to choose between being an absolutely thinking, rigorous, worldview-oriented Christian or believe in and seek to learn about practicing the supernatural power of God's kingdom? Why, why do I have to choose? Why can't it be a both hand? Because I'm not going to let my interest in, in, in the miraculous cause me to stop reading. Uh, you know, that just doesn't follow. So mm. your story is a perfect example of people that it was a both and. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And it's an amazing experience because it did confront my own bias about who these kind of things ex- happen to. Yeah. And when I when I started to share the story that I had to tell, I found even myself saying, I know this sounds weird. I know this seems strange. And by the end of the evening, none of us had to say that Mm -hmm. it, it seemed unnecessary. That's the gift of this book, but it's also the gift of reintegrating these, these two things that don't have to be separate. Just as you said, JP, we don't have to, to choose one or the other. And if our local church would provide more opportunity for people to talk about their stories, you can imagine the, the, the jolt of electricity that would give your church. Now, remember, witnessing, being Christ's witnesses in the book of Acts cannot be reduced to preaching about the gospel, witnessing his resurrection and his death on the cross, though so that is obviously the core of it. But witnessing is merely bearing testimony to what you've seen and heard God do. Just what what have you seen and heard? And uh, you bear witness to that. 
so that does zero in on the the great uh, miracle of the resurrection and Jesus's incarnation and so on, but it isn't excluded to that. So we should be bearing witness to one another about these things because it's so it, it it's a part of what makes a church healthy. By by no means is it only, and it can become without a balance of other things, goofy and too and overemphasized. Mm-hmm. And that's I don't want to identify with that. I, I, I this book is not about that. Uh, it's about a holistic part with with, with a certain factor being added to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would like to note for the listener who maybe I am good friends with Stan and have spent years under his teaching and uh, in in friendship with uh, him and his family. And this is not a a person who would be what we would maybe consider a, a woo woo type person. And then JP, I have gotten to know you through this podcast, but also read many of your books and you seem like an unlikely candidate in some ways to be championing this and which makes you just the most perfect candidate to integrate these things. You have brought us in the Christian community, the gift of thinking using our rational minds to approach scripture and our relationship with God, and that you would be the one writing this book, that you would be the one having this conversation, is a really powerful testament. Well, first of all, I'm humbled by what you said, and I don't really think of myself that way, but I'm I'm, I'm honored. But whatever credibility I have earned over the years, what I wanted to do was to use that so that this topic couldn't be dismissed. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted people to say, you know what, this guy's not a goofball. And I'm not so sure he's right about this. But I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give him a hearing because I he's, he's been doing this for decades. And he's a pretty reliable kind of person. So I, that's my hope, mm-hmm. is that I will be a credible witness. And mm-hmm. that's what we want to be is credible witnesses. We don't want to add to things. We just want to tell what we saw or what happened. And, and, and I think that's, that's real, it's really important. Mm-hmm. It is. It's, it's massively important. Um, Stan, I asked you to uh, think of a few stories and I was wondering if you had any more to share with us. Uh, I actually do. I've got several <laughs> stories. Um, well, let me tell you uh, about it. What I'm quite convinced was a, uh, a conversation with an angel when I was in sixth grade. <laughs> Uh, I was living with my father and stepmother. My mom and dad had divorced when I was six. Uh, the situation was not good for me. Uh, I was in the state of Ohio. And at that time I was 12 and at 14, I could choose which parent I could live with legally. And so I was counting the days down two more years to be able to go live with my mother and stepfather. I am actually in the uh, elementary school restroom I'm a sixth grader. I know everybody in this small school. I've been there now a number of years. And uh, there's another kid standing there, my age, another sixth grader at the urinal uh, who I'd never seen before. You know, I was just, you know, just doing my, 
my thing. As Jordan, you need to know you're in a protocol is you just do your business and you're done. So as I'm staying there, this kid says something to me and it kind of surprised <laughs> me. I'm like, what are you doing talking to me? <laughs> you're breaking the rules, man. <laughs> you, you, you're messing with my categories. And he says literally to me, he had never seen me, didn't know me, didn't know anything about me. He said these words to me. He said, did you know that Ohio has just changed the legal age for children to decide which parent they live with from 14 to 11? Oh, what? I kid you not. He said that to me. I kid you not. What in the world is that? I said, no, I, I didn't know that. Thank you. And he was gone. I mean, he didn't poof go. But after we left the restroom, I never saw this kid again. And within three months, I'd moved to live with my mother and stepfather. So oh I gosh. met an angel and he was there at the urinal breaking all the rules. But, but yeah, that well, has got to be the weirdest miracle story <laughs> I have ever heard. I know, right? yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and I wasn't a believer. Yeah. I wasn't expecting this. Uh, just not in my frame of reference at all. Right. Well, uh, look, Stan, I got to tell you, that a- after years of research on this, this does not surprise me a bit because I have read too many stories and seen, talked to too many people who've had the ability to have angels manifest and talk to them. Sometimes they recognize them as angels, other times not. My brother saw an angel before he died, and it was, uh, he was ta- started talking uh, uh, to, a fellow in a chair that was wearing a, a, a white tennis outfit. And my his wife, Carolyn, who's still here, said, Bob, who are you talking to? And he kept saying, well, there's a, there's a gentleman here in the room. And he was having a conversation with this guy. And he passed shortly after that. And hospice nurses mm-hmm. will tell you that it is not at all unusual for a person just before they pass away to sit up in bed and say, oh, my gosh, an angel is in the room and he's up on the corner and he's come for me. Mm. And it's just remarkable. Your story doesn't surprise me a bit. In fact, I'm, I, I am confident beyond any, any reasonable doubt that it, it is, that was an angel. I'll tell you a story that's in the book. And, I, and I, it's, just, it's, so, it's a funny one. This was a story in, in a in a really, really credible book. And I referenced, by the way, in the back of the book, if, if people want to read more stories and that I think are credible, I've got a whole bunch of sources for where to go next. But one of these books is, is filled with nothing but very carefully vetted stories about the supernatural. And they're just rich. They're they're so exciting. And one of them happened to a lady about 30 years ago outside of Portland, Oregon. And, and, be, and, and then uh, I read about it. It was so unbelievable that I was able to find her phone number. Uh, she lives in Colorado Springs. I called her. She's about 70 now. She was willing to talk to me, and I could feel the excitement and passion in her heart and voice as she relived this thing 30 years later, Mm -hmm. like your story. Mm -hmm. It was like it just happened yesterday Mm -hmm. and she came alive. And here's what happened. She was in her early 20s and she graduated from college and got a job 
with uh, Intel, and she was in the technology field. But she was a single gal, and she wanted a house to live in. She lived in apartments up until this point. And so she began to seek the Lord on this, and she had a realtor take her out. The only thing that she could afford was a a small house in a highly dangerous drug-infested neighborhood. Now, the good news was that across the street, there was a massive park that went blocks in both directions, like a half mile or so to jog around it. And it was just beautiful. The bad news was at night, it was filled with gangs and people selling drugs. Mm -hmm. Uh, So after she moved in, about two weeks later, two houses down from her, there was an, uh, an elderly woman who's grandson moved in with her and he was a drug dealer so she started waking up in the middle of the night because he was doing drug deals on her front yard Mm. and people were talking and playing loud music and and they were smoking pot and doing other drugs on her front yard and it scared her to death so she said i'm going to get a security system and she priced to them And she could not justify the expense based on what she made. And then the Lord spoke to her, and she told me how she knew it was the Lord, but let's not worry about that. And the Lord said to her, if you will take that money and support an orphan that needs it overseas, I will be your security system. So she did. Hmm. And, And she worked late. Every night she got home at dusk or depending on time of the year. And and she just said to herself, you know what? I always jogged. I'm not going to let this neighborhood uh, stand in the way of me living in my ordinary life. God promised to protect me and I'm going to put I'm going to put them on the line. So she goes for a jog uh, late at night. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of activity going on in the park. Well, she senses somebody something following her behind her and she turns around and there is a police car that is real slowly driving behind her and when she turned around it pulls up and the police officer gets out of the car and said ma'am i don't mean to alarm you but have you seen anyone strange uh while you've been jogging and she said well not out of the ordinary what do you mean he said, well, the station has received five or six phone calls in the last hour from different people who live around this park. And they've all said that they've, they've seen this set, about seven foot tall black guy who's in a white muscle shirt. And this guy's carrying a sword. And we're trying to find this guy and, and just question him and, and see what, what he's doing with a, with a weapon. and." And so if you see him, call us. Well, the officer left, and she suddenly had dawned on her. That angel is protecting me, and that's why nobody's bothering me, because nobody wants to mess with this guy. And and she relied upon that guardian angel from that point on, and she was never accosted by anybody. Now, I, I, I quizzed her. I mean, I put it to her, and and there is no question in my mind that this 
all happened, and there's no way to explain this. And and so angels do they appear in all kinds of crazy ways. It's just so it's, it's just great. What a story. Oh, what a story. Goodness. What a story. Well, how about this tall and the short one that hang around with you? Well, that's a long story, but yeah, uh, in the book I, I present evidence that would I think stand up in a court of law it is objective evidence that there are three angels that stay with me. Oh, that's right, three. And and protect me. And if people want to know about that, uh, you, there's a detailed account. It would take too long to share. But I will say this. Uh, in there, I, I, I make a case that we do have angels that protect us. Sometimes they bring messages to us, and but they guard us and help us. And so we should not be quick to dismiss this. And I, I'd also make a case for how we know demons are real. Hmm. Uh, that is, I think, pretty, pretty rock solid. Mm-hmm. And so that's a couple of things in that chapter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Good teaser. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the, the value of, of this is that first we approach these things having already done our work and knowing that we have good reasons to believe in God and knowing that we have good reasons to believe in the historicity of the New Testament and the miracles and resurrection. So that becomes my platform within which I now let experience add confirming proof. Hmm. Uh, And some of that's transformation. It's sensing the presence of God or miraculous interventions. And for me, the value of these is, number one, they do add additional evidence that what I believe is actually true, because you just cannot dismiss these. Mm-hmm. But secondly, they get your head in a supernatural realm instead of living down here just in the natural world. Mm-hmm. Because the supernatural world is, in fact, all around us. But sometimes we have trouble feeling or accepting that uh, uh, because we don't have the experience of it. And that's why reading other accounts can supplement your own journey Mm -hmm. in experience. Dan, I would be willing to bet, like you said, that that event with that evangelist long ago has been a source of encouragement to you these years with that. Is that absolutely okay? Okay. Huge. All right. Huge encouragement. Yeah. Well, well, that just makes sense. Good. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. That's cool stuff. Yeah, I want you to say a word about a distinction you've made, and you made it in passing. I think our listeners might have missed it, but you mentioned that you don't just believe this to be the case, uh, some of these uh, these realities of God being present in a miraculous way, but you know it to be the case. Could you say a little bit about the difference between believing and knowing in these type of things? I'm so glad you you brought this up. And I say that in the book, I make clear what it means to know something. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. If you believe something, then you're somewhere between 51 and 100% confident it's true. So, I mean, the reason I start with 51 is that if you take any belief, you either believe it or you disbelieve it, or you kind of don't know you're 50-50. So what that means, Dan, is that beliefs come in degrees of strength. You can believe something, but then after a while, with further experience or reflection, you can believe it instead of 55-45, you can kind of believe it's 75-25 or something of that sort. So beliefs can get stronger. Then the kind of knowledge that I'm talking about 
is a true belief that's based on adequate reasons or grounds. It first of all has to be true before you could claim to know it. I mean, if it has to match reality, because if I said, you know, I, I know that there's at least 10 people in an auditorium and I went in there and it turned out nobody was there, I would have to withdraw my claim to have known it. I'd have to say, well, I thought I knew, but I obviously didn't because it's false. The second thing is that I have to believe it. I mean, it would be crazy to say, I know that there are at least 10 people in an auditorium, but I don't really believe a word of it. Uh, you know, I think that's when you'd say your great learning has driven you mad. <laughs> uh, but, but, so, but true belief is not knowledge because you can truly believe something that's true and you believe it, but you don't, you're lucky. You, you guessed right or something of that sort. Knowledge is when you, you believe something that's true but then you have adequate reasons for it. Now, what counts as adequate is going to depend on the area of life you're thinking. It'd be one thing in chemistry, another thing in judging a painting to be beautiful, another in ethics, another in knowing that God spoke to you. So you have to look at people who thought about different areas to get adequate. The most important thing is, though, that knowledge does not require certainty. Uh, you can have a true belief based on adequate, not completely certifying grounds. That means that you could know something, but still admit you might be wrong. But you, you're saying, I don't have any good reason to think I am, but I'll grant you I might be wrong. But I, at this point, have enough confidence that I claim to know that this is true. Uh, it's consistent with doubts or unresolved questions. And so what I want to say is that uh, I, it's important that we, we know the things uh, that we assert, and we want to work to get to where we actually know these things to be true. And I think it's possible to know that a miracle has happened. Intelligent agent principle helps with that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but that doesn't mean that I'm 100% certain, you know, uh, rationally. Now, psychologically, I, I'm at a point in life where I don't have any, any doubts or problems with that, which is usually more of a, an emotional, you know, how you were raised or if you're obsessive compulsive. I don't say our father who probably art in heaven, but uh, uh, so I have confidence spiritually, but I actually have what's called defeasible knowledge, knowledge that might be wrong, but it's got, I've got enough warrant that I'm comfortable that I know it. Well, I'm so glad you made that distinction. And I think that idea of having knowledge, but still possibly being wrong, in other words, not needing 100% certainty to claim knowledge, is a very unusual idea for many people. But it is, as I've read a lot of that's been written on this, very defensible. Do you go into this in, in the book? I do. Okay, good. Uh, in, in a way that is accessible. Yes. Great. And I spell out what I mean when I claim to know that mm -hmm. miracles happen and, and I, so that I want to help the reader mm -hmm. with that. Great. Yeah. great you make a really great distinction or several actually really great distinctions about what adequate means and how that, that qualifier can be very different for different areas and different people. It's yep. very helpful. Good. Thank you so much. Very helpful. Anything else either of you would like to add before we go? I just am glad that you finished your trilogy. 
Oh, thanks, Dan. The Kingdom Triangle was such a good book. Thank you. But uh, there was so much more than needed to be said. And so I'm glad that uh, you got this out. Well, my friend, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I, I hope it is received as warmly as it has been for me. I've just been so grateful. Well, this is such a good word, and it means a lot to me. Thank you, Jordan. You're a sweetie. (laughs) Thanks. This has been another episode of the Thinking Christianly podcast, and we're so grateful for you listeners. If you are curious about this book, as really you should be, I have brought this book up in most every conversation I've had that was longer than about five minutes for the past few weeks. I strongly encourage you to go to our show notes, and you will find a link there for where to find JP's book. And we, we pray that it is a, an encouragement to your Christian walk. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Thinking Christianly podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation in the pursuit of faith, seeking understanding. Be sure to check out today's show notes at www.thinkingchristianly.org slash podcasts, where you can find more information and the resources we discussed. Finally, please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars. Until next time, this is Jordan Plank, encouraging you to think Christianly.